Hello? Chris, it's Scott. Oh, hey man, how's it going? <laughs> totally excellent, dude. Oh, um, okay, cool. Well, what's up? <laughs> Not much, compadre. Just chilling out here at Mikasa. All right. Hey, uh, are you okay? You seem different. Oh, yeah, man, I'm totally tubular. I've just been listening to this bitchin' new podcast and scarfing down some zaz, you know? Right. Bitchin'. Totally. It's called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute, and it's a completely gnarly new show that breaks down, analyzes, and discusses the 1990 live-action Turtles movie one shell kicking minute at a time! Wait, one minute at a time? Like, a whole episode dedicated to just, like, one minute of the movie? Oh, hey Scott, hold on a second. Dude, I have got a boss new podcast to show you. Oh my god, it's like totally rad, you're gonna freak. Hey Adam, Rachel, uh, come in I guess. Is that Scott? Put him on speaker. Yeah, he was just telling me about Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles, Turtles Minute. Minute. Excellent. Excellent. Rad. Dude, dudette, how totally mondo is that show? Totally, man. I like scope so many fresh new knowledge nuggets. I feel like my brain is going to explode. Yeah, and it comes out every day of the week, so I can just max and relax and score some serious turtle time. Chris, you have to motor over to DuelingGenre.com or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute right now. Yeah, okay, I, I just... Am I going to start talking like that? Yo, Connor, don't be a spaz. Yeah, be wicked. Bodacious. Righteous. Fresh. So, bro, what's it going to be? You going to check out Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute or what? Well, I guess there's only one thing to say. Cowabunga! Yeah! yeah! Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute, available July 31st on DuelingGenre.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Two Towers, One King kind of readying himself for war at a time. I'm Norman Mitchell. <laughs> and I'm, uh, once again, Niall McGowan. <laughs> and today we're talking about Minute 162, which starts with Gambling finishing his line from yesterday. He says, your men, my lord, will follow you to whatever end. And it ends to orcs marching and then... A quick cut to Theoden's face. <laughs> and uh, you, were, you were saying off mic that this is your favorite sequence in the whole saga, pretty much. Yes, this is this poem and this scene around Theoden getting ready for the battle is my favorite scene in the whole trilogy. So it's always just struck me really, really deeply. And I'm not really, I can't really put into words exactly why. It's just, I remember the first time I I got the extended edition of Two Towers for Christmas and I put it in the DVD player and I, I watched it immediately on Christmas Day. And this scene immediately just struck me. Something about it just always has just really grabbed me. I'm just like, wow, mm. this is the, these are the kind of scenes that 
I love to find in movies where just there's a, there's an amount of like real gravitas. Not that I really knew that that's the word I was looking for when I first saw this, this scene for the first time, but Bernard Hill's dialogue in this moment, the delivery, the poem itself, and just sort of the weight of war in the scene is just so thick. Mm. And there's, there's one, one young boy in this, this set of shots in particular that always hits me the hardest is the little guy, the, the, the young boy being given that big old ass. And he just looks like he has no idea what he's getting into because of course he doesn't. He looks like he's 11. Mm. I got always struck me. uh, That shot is that like, you know, kids, particularly young boys, when they're you know running around playing with themselves, like they, he probably has played like you know sword fight battles and stuff with his friends, and but not like you know play with sticks and stuff like that. And then the fact that like yeah, you know, he may have had aspirations to grow up to to, to grow up to be a warrior. And then the fact now is like no, mere probably like like a week later, it's like here's a giant axe, kid. Your, your dreams come true. You got to go out and fight like today. <laughs> yep. And the kid getting ready with the shield and the helmet that's too big. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, you do wonder what happens. Is That kid's a little more. <laughs> yeah. You wonder what happens to all these kids, but that kid's a little more like serious and together than a lot of the other kids we see mm. between the pulling apart montage and like this stuff. Yeah. Like that kid's just like, well, I know what I got to do today. <laughs> well, that kid had like a, the, you know, the Middle Earth uh, version of a stage dad or like a stage parent where he's just like, he's always getting them ready to be, to go to war and just like making sure like when you know battle's ready, you gotta, you gotta be the best. You gotta be the best. So uh, this, this kid has been prepped for battle since like, you know, the age of three. Like the, it's con- the parents constantly henpecking him to, to get ready and to, to make sure that he beats all the other kids at any sort of battle auditions that they might have. Yeah. So this scene also has a really odd sort of flow to it because this was all filmed in slow-mo. Mm. It's kind of weird. Like, it, it, I actually kind of equate it with... Um, I, think, I don't know, maybe I'll watch them side by side. I wouldn't at all. But it kind of reminds me of what you'll get in uh, Return of the King when... Um, it's, it's, I can't remember if it's Merry or Pippin, the one who's with Denethor. I think it's it's Pippin, isn't it? Or maybe it's Merry. Oh, during the song? Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of that. Just because That song of, scene is kind of similar. Yeah. It's just because of the whole sort of slow... Again, there's a fair bit of gravitas and sort of the mounting tragedy, even though it's more tragic in Return of the King because you're actually seeing the stuff happen. Whereas, um, what, you know, while someone's right... While, you know, the, a king and a servant are sort of musing on, you know, the, the events... Uh, well, you know they're not they're not there themselves, but you're seeing the uh, the battle that they're sort of thinking about while they're conversing themselves and stuff. But maybe I'm putting that quite badly. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I get you. Like that that scene is also very much about you know how everything kind of got where it is. Like this scene is telling you so so much about how Theoden feels without coming out and saying it, it's all being just kind of, it's set in poetry. It's sort of just shown by the way that the the scene is being cut with these children getting ready for war and this old man who is ostensibly their king and their protector also getting ready for war 
and nobody's happy. Yeah. Nobody is happy about it's it. Also, it's a good contrast as well in the fact that, uh, you know, Theoden is a, is a king who is actually sitting genuinely thinking about the things that, you know, about his people and about the things that are about to occur. Whereas Denethor in that scene is a man in complete sort of denial and sort of just, he's sitting just munching away in food. So, you know, sing me a song to just distract yeah. me because I don't want to, I don't want to even risk thinking about anything that's going on outside the, outside these walls. So it's a... Right, because Theoden and Denethor have very different reactions to the feeling of hopelessness in their, their time of need. Theoden can only think about doing whatever he can to make his people at least feel protected and just burdens himself with all this grief of hopelessness, but won't let his people burden themselves with it. Whereas Denethor is just unwilling to feel help, like actually feel his hopelessness at all and just pushes it away and has just completely given up. <laughs> and, um, I, I will say though, like the one thing that always strikes me, and I, maybe I can finally put it to bed for myself internally is that, uh, Bernard Hill, I always, always get him mixed up with Bernard Cribbins from, uh, who was in Doctor Who. Uh, because I don't know what it is, but they, they do look fairly similar. And, you know, the first name Bernard, but like it's something I can't separate in my head, no matter how many times I try to remind myself, I'll always be like, oh, Bernard Cribbins, he was in Lord of the Rings. And there's like, no, he was he was never in Lord of the Rings. Uh, no, that was, it's Bernard Hill. Hmm. The thing is, I should remember Bernard Hill in particular, because I'm currently living in Liverpool. And Bernard Hill's like, he's, um, maybe you guys have discussed it, but like, he's the ostensibly the star of one of the most acclaimed British dramas that came out of the 1980s, like the boys from the black stuff. And his character, uh, Yasser Hughes was like, he's a, it's all set in Liverpool. Uh, and you know, he's sort of not, not an icon because the, the characters, you don't, you don't want him to be an icon. The whole, the whole show is dealing with, uh, it's a very damning indictment of the socio-political situation in uh, Thatcher's Britain in the early 80s. And the fact that he's, you know, the boys in the black stuff are all the out-of-work uh, street tarmackers who can't get work, and it's all about their desperate hopelessness. And uh, actually quite suiting Bernard Hill's situation here. Maybe he's channeling a bit of uh, Yasser Hughes there. But uh, yeah, Yasser is always a kind of classic character. See, uh, the famous sort of like, give us a job, mate. Give us a job. Hey, hey, I can do that. I can do that, mate. Hey, give us a job. Like, you just go around pestering people over and over and over again. And if you step into Liverpool and have any sort of a, an interest in media at all, boys from the black stuff will be thrust upon you. <laughs> like, they really, they really, they're very, very proud of that show. And as they should be as well. And it's getting more and more, you know, we're living in recession times. And we in the UK, you know, that's, a, that's an indictment of the 1980s government's of Britain then, and uh, we in Britain are currently living through uh, like a 1980s tribute government. So it's uh, it is all quite <laughs> it's, it's more culturally relevant now than it ever was. Um, but for, so, yeah, so you think with that though, knowing oh yeah, Bernard Hill is Yasser Hughes, but I still get him mixed up with Bernard Cribbins, the lovable old guy from Old Wolford from Doctor Who. It's like they're not even they look a kind of alike, yeah, a bit, but. They're not the same man at all. But hopefully now that I've I've mentally put it to bed for myself. So, but this time next week I'll be probably on my own show going on about like, oh yeah, Bernard Cribbins from Lord of the Rings. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, this... There's something about Bernard Hill's performance just brings so much weight to 
every line. He's just, he just chews up the movie whenever he's on screen. Mm. Like, and he's on, he's on screen with Ian McKellen and, and Viggo Mortensen. And he's just stealing the show. <laughs> there's, there's no one else to pay attention to, but Bernard Hill, whenever he's on screen. Mm. I, will, I will ask that cause you, 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 you would be the guy to ask. Is there a reason why Gandalf always, well, not always, but he does always refer to him as Theoden King. He always says, a Theoden King. I was like, oh, you mean King Theoden? Or is there a reason why he's switching the names back? Or is it just like, oh, we just do this sometimes, just to, be, just to mix up the dialogue. And Tolkien's like, yeah, sometimes he calls him Theoden King instead of King Theoden. Yeah, I think that's all it is. I think it's just, it's just a strange linguistic choice. It makes it sound more it honestly I think it sounds a little more like fantasy formal than just saying King Theoden. And mm. and I it's it's interesting. Mm. I do always love like the you know when it's when Gandalf obviously breaks the spell. Like the 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 way he says it there though cuz it's almost sort of it's 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 almost mocking the fact cuz Gandalf knows exactly what's going on and stuff by you know calling him third and king it's just sort of like mocking the idea that this is supposed to be the king but the emphasis that he's putting on it and stuff but uh you know, that was yeah. that scene you've already covered that in great depth so I'm not going I'll drag yeah. you back there <laughs> I mean this is this whole scene is just Thad and getting himself ready for what he sees as martyrdom because at the very least he's going to die protecting something but he also is so dripping with regret for every step that led him here mm. and he's just oh man like the poem i i've always really liked the poem the where is the horse and the rider where's the horn that was blowing because it just it feels just so much like it's, it feels so much to me like they chose to put that here and use it in that way with this scene to, again, make reference to, like, the fall of Gondor in the the way that they've portrayed it in the movie. Because we associate the, the horns with Gondor because of the horn of Gondor. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that this is just, like, one of those things that calls to, well, Rohan is alone because Gondor won't come to help them. Mm even if they call because you know the earlier in Helm's Deep here they had said the old alliances are, are dead there there's been no word or help from Gondor in a long time yeah yeah the it's Rohan has become again its own standing empire or it's an, its own kingdom and yet they're beset on all sides by people that Gondor should be helping them fight back against and nothing mm. And we know as an audience that Gondor is aware of what's happening because Faramir's spies, Faramir's men know. They've been seeing what's been happening in Rohan. They report to Faramir about it. But this is a this is a shortened version of a poem that Aragorn recites in the book as he sees Edoras for the first time in the story. Mm. And it's it's a poem written long ago by a forgotten poet. <laughs> and I believe he says it in the book. He's supposed to be speaking it in Rohirric. Yeah. <laughs> in the language of Rohan. You think like the like the the, the, like, the Vigo, did he hold any anything against Bernard Hill? That's <laughs> been like, this guy's stealing my goddamn phone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Bernard Hill in the commentaries is like, I think this this was nicked from Aragorn, I believe. Yeah. 
So I was wondering. As soon as the scene starts. Like, I can't help it. I think there's a couple examples like of that in Lord of the Rings. Isn't it in um, Fellowship, the whole... I think in the book, it's Pippin who figures out the whole, like, oh, speak friend and enter. And then in the movie, they make it Frodo. And you always wonder yeah. <laughs> if Pippin's just like, hey, it's like, I, I don't got to do anything else of, like, you know, until, like, the third movie, like, of any substantial worth. Can you not give me this one thing that this doesn't make me look like a complete idiot? Yeah, Billy Boyd in the commentary is just like, in the book, that was me. <laughs> just I think I would present it, because it's like, yeah, my character is, you know, is at risk of coming across as a one-note bumbling idiot, particularly in what's going to happen in the minds of Moria. So <laughs> can you not give me something right. that makes me look like, oh, no, at least he's, he's sure he's a bit clever and stuff. But no, no, has to, be, has to be the hero of the show, Frodo. I was like, yeah, well, you go, Elijah. <laughs> he is the main character. He's the one that's supposed to drive the plot forward. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. But they do a lot of they do a lot of work in the in the adaptation here of kind of making Frodo and Aragorn dual main characters. We're very invested in following their two stories more than the others. Yeah. But we go through really long stretches in two towers without Frodo. Yeah. Yeah. The- and I think that that's part of what makes it feel kind of draggy to some people because we go so long without. The person who's like marketed as the main character of this franchise, but there's big long stretches in two towers without him because we also have to introduce and establish Rohan. Yeah, I suppose they they could have had because again all the massive massive chunks of the the entire start of the Return of the King movie with Frodo are all supposed to be from the end of the Two Towers book. So I guess it's like oh we could have put more of them in theoretically, but then this film would be like five hours long. <laughs> yeah, I. I remember when I saw this in theaters, I was just, just like, but where's Shellop? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where, totally. Yeah. Where's, the, where's the big spider? <laughs> and now, you know, removed from my initial feelings of, you know, having read the books five or six times before seeing the movie, like, removed from all of that, I'm just like, well, yeah, of course, you can't just end, you can't end the second movie with, with Shelob, because it's just... This is just another incredibly depressing thing to just <laughs> stack on into this movie uh, because this movie is so depressing. <laughs> it's so depressing. You, you've, your two, like, your two major characters throughout the movie that are from Rohan are, like, so incredibly depressed and they both pretty clearly want to die. <laughs> I thought that like, this, the, the, this, it does end in the, there's that little tinge of like, oh no, well, you know, what about Sam? Frodo wouldn't have got far without his friend Sam. It's like, oh, it's nice. It's a nice ending. And then it does, it's my favorite shot of the whole saga is actually like the, the zoom up into the mountains and seeing Mordor in the distance. But it's like, the fact that it has that Meliana Torini song over the end of it, so it's like, don't you be getting too happy, audience. <laughs> they're still, they're still crap these yeah, guys. Yeah, don't you be getting happy. <laughs> Well, because Fellowship ends in a similar way, too, you know, like, it, or Fellowship ends with, it's, just, it's, it's so nice, and no, it's not, it's not nice at all. <laughs> <laughs> Everything, everything's wrong, everything's broken, and it's, it's gonna take a good six hours of cinema to fix. <laughs> but, uh, I do remember I wasn't raised, though, at the time, because I, I was expecting Shelob, and, uh, I was, I was, I was happy, though, when you see it in Return of the King, because it's one of the best sequences, and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm happy they left it, because it was much right. more of a build-up and stuff, to when you knew, you had the extra year to be like, oh, I know it's coming, as, as one of the few se- sequences outside, like, a proper, full-on horror movie, 
that I've actually been like terrified in the cinema watching because I knew what was going to happen. So you're just uh, like every every because they 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 wrong foot you a couple of times where you think like now now it's going to get him, and then no. And there's a bit where you actually think like, oh, Fro- maybe they've changed it from the book. Maybe Frodo's gotten away. And it's like, no, no, we we we, we tricked you. <laughs> it's like, oh no, there there he goes. <laughs> oh, the the foam when he gets stung, I can see it so clearly in my mind. That moment from the movie, yeah. it's so like it's just burned in. Yeah. It's always the bit where he actually gets caught in the full on web going through the little narrow tunnel. And he's just kind of hacking away, and it's like Shelob's right behind him. And it's just like, there's no way he's getting out of this! And then he just manages by the skin of his teeth to, to get, get through there in time. And I remember in the cinema, I've been like, oh my god! <laughs> it was so, so tense. <laughs> but, so then, if you had that after the freaking battle of Helm's Deep, you had that entire sequence to deal with. You'd walk out just be like, oh my god, that just, that's so exhausting. <laughs> right? Oh, man. Like, you have this hopeful monologue from from Sam about, you know, heroes and, and dark stories and coming out the other side. And then after that, we have Shelob in the same movie. That would just be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> just like, oh, Frodo's dead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Although, do what they, I'm sure you guys probably had to mention several times the whole fact that if you read the books the way they're established, because you have the entire first half will be, you know, Aragon and uh, all, the, all the characters around him. And then you cut the second half of the book will be Frodo. And the whole way, again, not to bring him up too many times, but the Mouth of Sauron sequence, it kind of almost doesn't work in the movie because you know... It doesn't work as intended because in the books at that point, for all you know, Frodo is dead. So when he's like, oh, yeah, we've yeah, yeah. We got here, here's, here's his elven clothing and whatnot. Uh, whereas in the movie... It's- yeah, and ultimately, like that's why it's cut from the, the theatrical edition of Return of the King because the tension of that scene doesn't really exist... In the same way it does on a page where you're reading in order. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but no, again, I'm, I know you won't be getting food for like another 500 minutes or whatever, but shouldn't go too deep into yeah. that territory while you've uh, you still got it ahead of you there. But we've still got uh, to see um, Theoden's uh, Sailor Moon transformation here where, he, where his armor gets put on him and... I just wish there was a scene of him just like flipping the hair back and you just see like, a little gleam in his forehead. It's like Theoden is prepared. Like <laughs> the little peace sign up against the eye. Yeah. This is, just ends with him like going up into the air and spinning around and then a blast coming from him. It's like Theoden is ready for, for battle. <laughs> but it's the entire time it's gambling having to do it for him. It's like, yep, this is apparently this is the job now. I have to freaking dress the king. This scene still gives me chills and I've seen it, I don't know, a hundred times. Mm. It's just... And there's there's other scenes in other movies that like do that for me where it just doesn't matter how many times I've seen it. There's just it always gets me. It always makes me feel what it's trying to make me feel, which is just this this dread and this sadness at what's happening. I feel I feel so bad for Theoden through this entire movie. <laughs> I still get that. Like that's that's always the mark of a. You know, an indication that the director does have some talent in the fact that you can get even bad movies can have certain scenes that'll just get you and stuff. Like no matter how many times, yeah. you see it. Like I even know friggin' at the end of um, the much the much maligned uh, eighty seven Masters of the Universe movie, but the, you know the film's ostensibly terrible, but uh, you know beyond Frank Langell's. I love terrible sci fi though. <laughs> I love terrible fantasy sci-fi stuff. The thing is, though, because like, well, I grew up in that, so I do have a kind of like, oh, you know, nostalgic thing. But there's a the bit at the end when friggin' 
Uh, the key man swings over, he goes to take the sword that Skeletor's got, and he's just, Skeletor's blasting with electricity, and then he finally yanks it out and says, I have the power. And you watch that scene in a terrible movie, and it's like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> like they, they actually pulled off one amazing sequence where you're like, that was great. <laughs> and we're going to have to get one. By the power of Grayskull. We have to get the one, actually. Um, even though I do love Batman Forever, like, I admit it's a very, very flawed movie. But the first, like, five minutes of Batman Forever are amazing. Where it's just like, you know, they have the opening credits and the music's really building up and then they show you the bat symbol and then the forever comes across it. And you're just like, holy crap, this is great. And then there's this Batman going into the Batcave, armoring up. And then you see the Batmobile and then it's just, here's Batman and the Batmobile. And you're like, this film is going to be awesome. And then, as soon as that sequence ends, it starts... And then, then it's awesome for all the wrong reasons yeah. going forward. So it just falls off a very steep cliff after that into, like, oh, boy. <laughs> but I I think people are, are, maybe not unfairly, but I think people are maybe a little too hard on that movie sometimes. I, 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 There's definitely a lot of redeeming things in it. It's <laughs> Well, the thing is, it, it, it's I, I almost... Forever is almost like the... It is the middle child, because it's not as weird... It's not got the, the the 89 thing of just been like, oh, here's the first dark Batman movie ever. Whereas you had your Adam West, here's a completely different iteration of the character. It's not got the weirdness of Batman Returns, where people are like, oh, it's such a strange, odd movie with this weird legacy of like, yeah, there's kids coming out crying and everything. And then you've got Batman Forever, which is kind of in between. And then you had Batman and Robin afterwards, which is just awful which will just always be remembered as like this is the thing that killed the franchise because it was that bad it's one of the worst movies ever made and then because you have forever in the middle was like it's a bit dark and it's a bit fun and it's sort of a bit of everything and it's just not all that great so it's just so it is it's the it's the the the, the brady bunch kid who was always complaining about like oh it's always marsha 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 it's like it is it's never jam yeah it's it's Batman Forever is the Jan of the Batman franchise because it's it's fine, but it's just like it's just sort of there. And we've actually it's one of the things like we people chomping at the bit who had on as guests to make sure that they're back for Batman and Robin. But we're almost worried about like no one's going to be fussed about coming on for Batman Forever because I'll right man. I mean, I'll come on and talk about Batman Forever. I I love Jim Carrey as the Riddler. <laughs> oh, and that's all our whole. I, I keep thinking, I keep looking into things for Batman Forever, and we're only really starting Batman Returns, the, like in recording wise. So it's like I should, shouldn't that. And then like shouldn't that be good? And I'll talk about Batman and Robin too. I actually, I really have a soft spot for bad movies. So I mean, I'll talk. I'll say good things about Batman and Robin if you need someone to say good things about it. <laughs> oh man, we we have a lot of people. Uh, and me and my, me and John included, we're just like I can't wait to get the Batman Robin because there's there is literally something wrong with every minute. <laughs> like it's, there's never going to be a minute where there's nothing to talk about because it's pretty much every angle I mean, is like that. This is this this that movie. That movie is like truly a miracle that it even it even got to happen at all because like George Clooney was a last minute deal as a favor, <laughs> and then and Arnold is getting paid so much money. Uh. But, um, oh, yeah, the, the, so many, the, all the stuff Alicia Silverstone had to go through on set and stuff. And it's, oh, my God, it's a cra- crazy time. <laughs> but, it's terrible. But, uh, oh, man. But, yeah, but that's, that's in two two years' time. Come, uh, You can come back to Batman, hit, and then we'll, 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 we'll be discussing Batman and Robin in minute-by-minute uh, minute depth. <laughs> so, yeah. And next year we'll be doing yeah. Batman Forever as well, of course, so. 
Because yeah. even there, even there, I was just like, oh, yeah, we're doing that one. Peak Jim Carrey. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's, it's really the height of just Jim Carrey's wackiness mm. in movies. It's like, watch The Cable Guy and watch Batman Forever, and you're just like, this is... He's doing the same thing. He's just... <laughs> that, is a, that was a guy who managed to ride a good three or four years of a career essentially doing the same performance in every movie. But people were like, he's crazy and fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and then it was only that they kind of go, like in the Truman Show, it's like, I better prove to people that I can actually act as well, you know? Oh, that's such a good movie. Mm. I'm There's so many just like crazy movies from the 80s too that I'm just... I'm sad that either no one's doing a movies by minute or that I've missed the boat on being able to talk about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, but it has... Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, yeah. I'm really gutted that, and particularly gutted because I've worked with the guy who made it uh, quite a bit, um, is the, uh, as if, the, the clueless minute. It's like, oh, I would have loved to have been on that, but that was before my time, before I did anything to do with movies by uh, movies by minutes. And it's just like, yeah, me and, me and Darren have been... I've, I've been on the Prince podcast loads because of Batman, of that connection. And it's just like, oh man, no offense to your show, but I kind of wish someone would do Clueless again <laughs> just so I could be on it. And, um, obviously, as well, right. yeah, obviously as well. And uh, Back to the Future because like, that just ended as we were kind of getting started. And it's just like, oh man, because we've, we've talked, to, we've worked with Scott loads as well. It's like, oh, I would have loved to have been on Back to the Future a minute, but sadly, it was not to be. We we two are filled with regret. <laughs> Much like Theoden. <laughs> Much like Theoden. This is like when to go stand in a, a stone cold room. And <laughs> just like stand in the room now, just voicing my regret for like all the things that I could have. If only I'd been there earlier. I could have. But, uh, oh, where, where is the DeLorean? And where is the rider? <laughs> <laughs> where is the DeLorean? Where is my Marty McFly? <laughs> Oh, that's what I think. Oh, man. I think we kind of went off uh, off topic here, anyways. Um, that's that's kind of that that's kind of the Lord of the Rings brand. We go off topic pretty much every episode somewhere along the yeah, way. I think that's unless there's just unless there's just so much to talk about, and there there is here, but some of it is just you know things that I've already kind of talked about, and where I have a special special co-host today. I didn't want to ramble for too long. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that could be the way... Because I could. No, because we just... That's uh, Batman as well. Like, we... There's, there's some times that we will scarcely... I shouldn't say that. Like, we do always cover the minute, but there's times that we will go on for quite a long time about something that is only tangentially yeah. related. I do... I really must try to uh, get the... Find that... Find what episode it was in, in the raw footage. Because there was a... There was about a 30-minute discussion... We, me and John and George Hendricks had about O.J. Simpson that just had to be cut from an episode. And we're like, we should really put that out as a special. So we went, we went, we went really in depth in that case. <laughs> we were we were discussing O.J. as if we were in the freaking court with with him. Oh man, it was just thirty minutes. <laughs> just yeah, we're just gonna save that for for later. It's like a, nothing to do with this anything is... in the minute. So it just so much came up somehow, and I was like, oh, we should do something with this footage, but. Yeah, cause, well, maybe some someday, someday it'll get it'll find its audience. Oh man! So I love this scene. I could talk about this scene for literally two hours. I could really dissect this. Mm. It just this this is what makes the Battle of Helm's Deep feel like something's really going on here. Is just how much this sort of real nitty gritty consequences of war stuff is sold because 
Bernard Hill is the one really selling it, and this this montage of extras in slow motion is just helping to further that sale. Yeah. And it it really comes together here. Like this is I think this is some of the best directed stuff in the whole trilogy, and it is also just my favorite sequence. Mm. I think that Peter Peter Jackson really knocked this one out of the park. I would wonder if uh, Jackson was going for almost a sort of intertextual uh, reference. I'm not even so much of a reference, or maybe to sort of he thought it would add to the the, the vibe, the fact that like um, I was almost going to say Bernard Cribbins, Bernard Hill, he, the fact that he is the most people will know him as like oh he's the captain from the Titanic. So the vibe that like oh the captain went down with the ship in the Titanic it was a, it was a doomed venture. So having him be the king of this, you know, going into this battle would almost add, if you just, maybe just knowing that guy, it would give you the, almost a sense of impending doom. Or if it's just more like... Right, if you'd seen Titanic, and then you, you don't know anything about Lord of the Rings, and you see Bernard Hill in this movie, yeah. and you just saw Titanic, it's like, oh, something bad happens to this yeah. guy. <laughs> I mean, this, I mean also, this can end well. I mean, like when you're watching, like, oh, you know, oh, so Sean, Sean Bean's playing uh, Boromir here. Like, oh, he died. Of course he died. Sean Bean always dies. This movie's going to play into all my expectations of the what the actors have previously done. So, you know, obviously the captain from Titanic was the was the you know the the captain of the battle as the king of some sort so obviously they're going to lose because that's that's what happened in Titanic at some point uh, Frodo is going to meet up with a dolphin and uh, they're all going to have a grand old time <laughs> right or perhaps an alien queen that could happen too yeah. <laughs> the thing is i would totally actually watch those movies as well <laughs> so. right be perfect so thank you for joining me today Niall. It's been a blast uh, having you here for these few minutes. Oh, thank you very much. Anytime. It's uh, always happy to step in. I also had a thing with, because uh, I briefly uh, did a Skype down the IMDB of the guy who plays Gamelin, because I'd never really seen him anything. And I saw that he was in uh, Cleopatra 2525, which is a show I've not thought about in years. So I was like, oh, thanks for that. That kind of got a reminder of like, that was a real blast from the past. So they had to go up and look up the opening credit sequence to see it again. There you go. That's always fun. You're just like, I know this person from somewhere. <laughs> oh. Or they look weirdly familiar. Where are they from? And you're just like, oh. Mm. Oh. <laughs> okay. I was thinking that that was a show that was absolutely awful. Like, even at the time, you could. Det- it was one of these things that was borderline pornography, but it was posing under that sort of Xena guys are like no it's empowering and it's like nah, these women they seem to be very scantily clad for for, for battle and stuff I, I, there's a lot of male gaze going on here <laughs> i think that the your, yeah. your intentions might not be entirely uh you know honorable <laughs> with, with this show but it did star gina torres who will go on to do great work in firefly so you know gave her the leg up i guess right you gotta start somewhere i guess yeah this podcast airs on or goes out on DuelingGenre.com and wherever you get your podcasts. And also from DuelingGenre.com, you can find a whole bunch of non-Movies by Minutes podcasts, if that's what you're into, uh, including the Protagonist podcast, Doctor's Companion, Geek by Night and Immunities, which are a couple of audio dramas, Having a Friend for Dinner, where they cover everything Hannibal Lecter, one thing at a time. So go check all those out, support the site, and make sure you go check out Bat Minute Returns with... My special co-host for these last few minutes. And, uh, yeah, make sure you check that out. Give both of them five-star reviews. Yeah. Our show. Yeah, if you would. And his. <laughs> That'd be great. Really helps us out. Make sure that we get 
a little more reach. And as the listener community grows, we can all have a better discussion about these movies that we love. So I hope everyone has a great Tuesday and I'll be back tomorrow to talk about the, the last slide they had speaks here in this scene. Really gives it a punch. Bye.